No matter where you're living, across the bay or across the nation, it's likely that you and I have experienced something similar over the past few weeks. For some of you, the first signs of it felt unwelcomed. And when you started seeing these things appear around you, you might have felt a little check in your spirit. Uncertain if it was good or okay or right for it to be happening so early. But for others, it brought a sense of joy as you experienced it. And you wondered where it had been all year. But on both sides of the debate, there was a bit of sadness as we all realized how polarizing the topic had become even among some of our closest friends. I am, of course, talking about the topic of how early is too early to begin celebrating Christmas. How soon is too soon to start listening to Christmas music and how early is too early to put up your Christmas lights? As many of you know, most other countries where Thanksgiving isn't celebrated, they have been in full Christmas mode for a number of months. But this debate is still alive and well here in the U.S. My name is Sam, and I work with students at our Menlo Park campus. And before we get too far in today, I must admit that I used to be pretty firm on the rule of no Christmas lights or music until after Thanksgiving. But as I've gotten older, things have shifted. The minute I start seeing Christmas lights around me or I start hearing the carols, I feel so much excitement and joy, no matter how early it comes. So I've decided that it's okay if my Christmas season starts a little earlier than some other people. But as I've been thinking about this, I've wondered, why is it that I feel a longing in me for the Christmas spirit and for a bit of light during this time of year? I realized, for me, a lot of it has to do with daylight savings time and the shortening of the daylight that we experience because of the winter season. When we set our clocks back near the beginning of November and darkness comes earlier in the afternoon, I begin to sense a longing in me for more light. I feel disoriented for weeks after we shift the clocks. Now, I know I'm not alone in this because for the past month, any time I have been with friends after dinner, there usually comes a point where we all are convinced that it must be 10 p.m. when in fact, it's only seven at night. (laughs) There's a disorientation that comes when light shifts on us And I think that with that disorientation comes an awareness in each of us for a longing of light. So today, I want us to explore that longing for light. I want to talk about Jesus as the light to our weary world and the vision he had to bring hope to each one of us. So to begin, let's dig a bit deeper into light. When I think about light, I think of light in two different ways. The first is the very practical and literal way to think about light. The sun brings light to the day, and my smart light bulb turns on light to the night after I tell Google to turn it on. Light makes the darkness less dark and helps helps us see the world around us. But the second way that I think about light is a bit more figurative kind of as a feeling. For me, light as a feeling is this feeling of joy, 
freedom, contentedness, and a generally worry-free presence. And we all know it doesn't have to literally be dark or light around us in order for us to experience the feeling of lightness or darkness. I remember experiencing the feeling of darkness while walking in an impoverished community in the Dominican Republic. I was doing missions work with an organization called Students International, and I think it was my second or third trip with them. I had been to the community before and had interacted with many of the families and was looking forward to connecting with them again. But when I entered back into the community on that trip, something felt different. I mentioned it to to Daisy, the missionary working with the women in the community, and she paused, let out a heavy sigh, and went on to explain that a witch doctor had moved into the community since I had last visited. That witch doctor had had begun gaining influence and was forming relationships with some of the community members. I was aware of the spiritual darkness in that space before knowing about the arrival of the witch doctor. I felt the darkness, even in the light of day. Darkness can be felt in our unmet expectations, broken hearts, or as we interact with the pain of this world. Darkness as a feeling perpetuates a feeling of hopelessness. And darkness as a feeling is the feeling that something isn't as it should be. Darkness makes us long for light. When Jesus entered the scene, the state of the world was heavy, and it wasn't exactly how it should have been. The Jewish people were in deep despair because of the Roman rule surrounding them and the unjust social systems that they had to deal with every single day. But there was also another layer of darkness that the people had been dealing with. You see, prior to Jesus' arrival, the Jewish people had a 400-year period of silence where God wasn't showing up in the ways that they had been accustomed to. In much of the Old Testament, we see God on the move, visibly showing up for his people, using prophets to guide them and speak to them. But after the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, things change. God stopped speaking to the people through the prophets. And it's important to note that those 400 years of silence didn't mean that God wasn't present present or moving among his people. He didn't abandon them. But I would imagine that the people felt a bit of darkness and a lack of hope when they thought about the God who had once been so clearly guiding them. The people were living in darkness, and they were longing for a bit of hope and light to enter in. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 9, we find a very Christmassy section of scripture. It says the words, uh, for unto us a child is born. And they they say that his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and Prince of Peace. Before these words were said, though, at the end of Isaiah chapter 8, we read about how the people of Israel were going to mediums and psychics for guidance. 
the people were hurting and they were looking towards the world around them for guidance and wisdom. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 8 uh, verse 22, that they will look to the earth But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And it's in that space where Isaiah sees the people around him looking to the world for hope and healing and guidance that he speaks of the coming of Jesus. And he says in Isaiah Chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has dawned. Isaiah is saying that the people won't find the light that they're looking for in the world around them. And as I think of our world today, I think about the ways that we each look towards knowledge and politics or technological advancement as a source of our own guidance. We are longing for light to come in and guide us out of dark situations. The interesting thing about this uh, scripture that Isaiah shares in this prophecy is its reference in the book of Matthew. And it starts this thread of imagery of Jesus as the light to the world. This was done to connect the dots for the readers. Matthew didn't want the Israelites to miss that this man walking the earth among them was the very child who Isaiah prophesied about being born as the light of the world. The thread continues in many of the Gospels where we read about Jesus being the light of the world. The Gospel of John opens uh, in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, saying, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And he continues in in verse 9 and says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. Jesus himself in John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The gospel writers aren't talking about Jesus bringing literal light to the spaces he entered into. Although the image of Jesus being a nightlight because of a glow around him does deserve a quick pause for the imagination. But the writers are talking about the figurative light that Jesus brings as the hope of the world. Readers of the Gospels can go on to see the ways that Jesus brought light into the darkness around him. Corrupt systems were called out. Those on the margins were seen, and he healed the sick. Light enters into the darkness, and that light brings vision. It's obvious, but when light enters in, it helps us see. It brings literal vision from what was dark before. And I think it's helpful, although obvious, to pause and remember how different light is today than it was hundreds, let alone thousands of years ago. Prior to the invention of electricity, the world was ruled by the movement of the sun. To get light at night, it would cost you time in the day. 
You'd have to gather firewood or oil for the lamps in the house in order to be prepared for the looming darkness. And today, light doesn't really cost us much, although our energy bills might tell us differently. Uh, but with a flip of a switch, we're able to change our view and have vision in the dark of night. Although the availability and our access to light is different today than it was for our ancestors, the basic function remains the same. Light literally brings vision for us to see. But figuratively speaking, light that enters into dark places brings vision of what could be different. To say it another way, Light enters into dark places, and what can come from that light is a vision of a different kind of life. It's the attic becoming deeply aware of the darkness around them, and they believe for a brief moment that, the, that things could look different for them. It's the person whose schedule, whose schedule is so full that they feel like they have no time to spare, and then they have a brief interaction with someone who has margin in their life, and by seeing the light of their life, vision enters into their own life. It's a person who has longed for deep friendship for years, and through an invitation to join a life group or share a meal together, they get a vision of a life filled with community. I believe it's the Spirit of God who helps bring awareness of those light-filled moments that then leads us to have vision for a different kind of life. I wonder if there are any places in your life in which you have lost vision. Maybe you used to be excited about your job, but now you dread going to work. The relationships in your life had once been flourishing, but now they feel stagnant. Or just maybe, spending time with the Lord was something you once yearned for, but for whatever reason, you've lost the desire to make time for it. What would this Christmas season look like if we had a bit more vision? If we started 2022 with a clearer picture of what God has in front of us? And if that's something that we are longing for, I think it means that we need to pay attention to the light a bit more in our lives in order to receive vision. Light gives us vision. And it is through that vision that hope is cultivated in us. Light and vision brought by the Spirit of God gives us hope. And the hope I'm talking about isn't circumstantial. Circumstantial hope is found when we look for light in the things of this world. It's finding hope in the grades we get on tests, the feedback from our bosses in job reviews, or the success of our retirement por portfolios. This type of hope is really just a type of wishing. This type of hope is often based in hoping in something. So the minute that we're let down or we don't receive what we had hoped for, the ground that we're standing on begins to shake. But biblical hope, on the other hand, is based on someone. It's based in the hope that's found in a relationship with the resurrected Christ, Jesus the light 
of our world. Tim Keller says that to have hope in God is not to have an uncertain, anxious, anxious wish that he will affirm your plan, but to recognize that he and he alone is trustworthy, that everything else will let you down and that his plan is infinitely good. Jesus is the one who brings light to our world. And during the Christmas season, we celebrate the coming of Jesus in the form of a baby that's really just the beginning of the story of hope. Jesus Jesus arrived on the scene as the light to our world. And then he lived a vision-centered life so that hope could be fulfilled in his death and resurrection. The light had vision which brought us hope. Without the resurrection, Jesus' birth and his life is just another story of a man who walked this earth and did some good things for the people he came in contact with. But with the resurrection, Jesus' birth truly is the beginning of the ultimate story of hope. By believing in the birth and resurrection of Jesus, it means that we have the kind of God who brings light out of the darkest of situations. And it leads us to put hope not in our circumstances or our own happiness or in the things around us of this world, but instead in our God who promises to go with us. And Voskamp says that hope isn't about thinking something will get better. But hope is about believing that someone better is already here. That's the wonder of the incarnation that Matt talked about last week. Jesus was born because he wanted to come collect his people from their darkness. The light has come down. He brought a vision of a new kind of life in the kingdom of God. And because of that, we have hope. And to not allow a timely sermon illustration to pass me by, uh, a couple of months ago, I ruptured my Achilles tendon while playing pickleball. Now, for the record, I have nothing against pickleball and plan to play again once I've recovered. But tearing my Achilles set my world into a bit of chaos. And to be clear, I know in the grand scheme of things that my torn Achilles is not that big of a deal. Many of you have walked through unimaginable things this last year. But I think that hope can be trained up in the smaller experiences of darkness that we encounter in our lives. Because if I'm honest, the first few weeks following my injury, um, I didn't feel much hope. My injury happened right before fall camp with students, and uh, since I started working at the beginning of COVID, camp was going to be my first big event, and I was so excited. When I couldn't go, I was devastated. I got the flu while recovering from surgery, and my social life took an obvious dip because of not being able to go out and about. And I would wake up in the middle of the night in pain while sleeping in this giant boot. (laughs) And it took so much energy for me to get out of bed in the morning that I would just lay there longing for things to be different and often questioning what in the world God was doing. But in the midst of the darkness, 
and that darkness that I was feeling, hope started to creep in through the people around me. Through flowers that were sent and cards that were made and meals that were provided, each act of service from those around me brought light into my darkness. The light came in because the people around me were incarnating Jesus' nearness through their actions. They were a light to me that brought vision. Vision that I was not alone and that my life wouldn't always be that way. And that vision brought hope. Hope that God would use the circumstances in my life to bring him glory and maybe even let my situation bring a bit of light to the world around me. Darkness has to be felt in order for us to long for hope. When we have a clear view of the hope we have in the light of the world, we can then acknowledge that darkness isn't out of place at Christmas because darkness is the very reason why Christmas exists. And darkness gives us the opportunity to be a people who radiate hope to the world around us because we know the end of the story. Darkness won't win. Darkness might throw us into a bit of disorientation for a moment, but the birth of Jesus shows us, as Esau McKinley says, that even in the shadows of the empire, there is a space for hope. And that sometimes in that space, God calls us from the shadows to join him in his great work of salvation and liberation. We are called out of the shadows to help bring light to the world around us. But the question arises, how do we become people who radiate hope to those around us? Well, it goes back to where we started. We need to be people who pay attention to the light. Because I don't want you to miss this progression The crazy thing is, is that light brings a vision and vision brings hope, but it doesn't end there with hope because as we go through that process, light bringing us vision for a different kind of life and in turn cultivating a sense of hope in us, we then become a light to the people around us. Light leads to vision, vision leads to hope. And then as our hope radiates, we are a light to the people around us. The friends who showed up in my life this last month were living out the hope in their own lives, which resulted in me seeing light. We don't hold on to our hope and remain silent about it. Instead, we get the opportunity to proclaim that hope through our lives. And then we become, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, the light of the world. We are never the true light. We can never take the place of Jesus for somebody, but we can be a reflection of his light and hope in our own lives, which points them to Jesus. Don't miss this, friend. As we live as hopeful people and are a light to someone else, it gives them vision for a different kind of life and it cultivates hope in them. 
It's a cycle of hope that's fueled by the light of our world who was sent down. The wonder of hope is that as we train ourselves to look for the light in the mundane, dark places of our days, it actually trains us up to be people of unshakable hope. As we practice hope in the small things, it exercises our hope-building muscles so that when we encounter the things of life that require large amounts of hope, we already know to look for the true light. The darkness we feel around this time of year because of the short amount of daylight creates in us a longing for more light. And it serves as a reminder to look for the light. So this Advent season, hold tightly to your friend Jesus. He's holding on to you. He's with you in the darkness, and he is longing to bring light and vision and hope to every dark part of your life. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.